Hi, and welcome to I Want What She Has, a show that celebrates women and their stories. I am Shauna Falana. And I'm Teresa Widman. On today's show, we will sit down with the one and only Gail Ann Dorsey, bass player and musician, and learn all about how she does her thing. We are also excited to be speaking with Ruth Ungar. She's a musician, mom, wife, festival producer, youth teacher, and member of the band The Mammals. So, how are you feeling today, T? I'm feeling good. Yeah. It's our second show. It is. It feels a little bit more natural, but not quite there yet. Right on. Well, we are also in the super fancy uh, new room at the station with our mics are all lit up. And uh, I don't know, it smells very carpety in here. (laughs) It's nice and fancy. We did bring the unicorn power with us today. So we have a couple of unicorn friends. Visiting. Yeah, yeah, Teresa has um, two framed unicorn pictures here that for us to stare at. And I actually, ironically, didn't even get the memo and I wore my unicorn power tights. I have some Lycra unicorn power tights on right now. So go we'll, unicorn power yeah. sisters. We'll get into the unicorns and moons and rituals in a little bit. <laughs> um, so... This is our second show, and we did talk on our first show um, about what the show is, which might be sort of confusing for people because the title is uh, complicated, but not to us. Um, So did we want to talk about that again? I feel like we kind of wanted to just to reiterate. Well, it was interesting, you know, thanks for everyone who gave us feedback. We got a lot of comments, yeah. um, Shared what they experienced and- Experienced great things. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm gonna talk over you. They did experience great things. There was nothing negative, but it was interesting the things that have come up for people. And so I just wanna say thank you for sharing that and please keep on sharing those things with us. But one of the things that kind of percolated to the top for me was this idea Um, about envy. I mean, I had asked some friends to uh, call in and leave voicemails for us. And, and they shared with me how this kind of brought up a little feelings of envy for themselves. And some women felt a little uncomfortable even answering this question. And so I thought it makes it would make sense for us to talk about our own experience with envy. And I know, I mean, you alluded to that on the first episode, how you spent some time with a therapist kind of talking about Mm -hmm. envy. And I feel like it's a very normal thing for everyone to experience. And since we're in this, you know, woke stage of of life that we're living in, um, I think it's okay for us to accept our, our envy and to understand it and to work through it. So... Yeah, I can definitely share on uh, Envy because it was sort of um, where the show blossomed out of. And I would just say that it it was a rut that I got into that sort of um, dominated my thinking for a really long time, comparing myself, feeling like I wasn't enough, uh, running the tapes of how everyone else had something that I didn't have, couldn't have, wouldn't have. Um, And then because I'm someone that also is investigative for myself and wants to learn how to get 
through these difficult mental challenges and um, I learned how to switch thoughts that was one of the tools that I learned so if I was having envy what you do how you switch the thought is you have like a running list of thoughts that make you happy feel make you feel empowered help you to um, just be like happy in that moment it could be a thought about a unicorn or it could be a thought about you know thinking of a place that you love and you have this list of thoughts and then what you do is when you're having the thought that you don't want to have um, you just switch it out and you just start focusing 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 on this other thought and it works and that's one of the ways that I switched out of my envy thinking and was able to actually pull myself out emotionally of the traps of envy and see that I too am envied from other people like we're all in this like spiral so well and that was you know one of my friends who talked about the voicemail that was exactly her experience she had earlier in the day been having a conversation with her sister and they were both sort of envious of the other person's lives and and it made me think about how um, envy is sort of a uh, a mutable like you're saying um, consciousness and it it's something that we can change and often it does change on its own there's something that you might feel envious of one day and tomorrow you're feeling different you woke up doing something different with your day or for whatever reason uh, you're feeling different that same exact thing that that stirred up the envy with you has zero power over you and that's where i see myself if those little pangs of envy start to awaken i i use it as an opportunity to reflect on my own thoughts of myself on how what is it that i'm feeling perhaps negative about myself so that I can work on that and turn the focus away from this person who's who I'm potentially feeling some envy for and just work on what am I doing in my life? What are the things that I want to be doing? Maybe it's a sign that I'm not doing something that I want to be doing. Um, all of those kinds of things I start to analyze. And pretty soon it, the envy is gone and it's really about me taking positive action in my life. So, but I think it's interesting I just want to say this, that you use this word list because it's very much like a mantra practice, right? <laughs> Don't you love the way she says it? <laughs> I, I say mantra. She says mantra. Hello? I change Teresa. it. I change it occasionally. But <laughs> yeah, it's about having a positive affirmation that you go to. Come back to that positive affirmation whenever you're feeling down. Oh, <laughs> we had a little music there for a second, and now it's gone. Um, but that just means that we get to talk now about girl talk yeah. ritual. What yes. do you want to talk about, Teresa? Well, you, you were. I saw a K in your. Uh, there we go. There it is. What song is this, Shauna? I'm not gonna tell you. To, <laughs> why don't you just? Um, there's a little thing on your iPhone. You can just ask your iPhone what song this is um so yeah I saw you brought your magic book and there's a K there the word magic so uh this is obviously the moon the we moon calendar 
Well, yes, I brought my Wee Moon 2008 book in with me today because today is a full moon lunar eclipse. Wow. So this little section here, we're dedicating to all the women, the W-O-M-Y-N ladies out there. Yes, the moon was full at 8.26 this morning. Yep. And I wanted to share a little bit from this book that my dear friend Tar gave me that talks about a full moon lunar eclipse and its magic. On January 31st, we will experience a total full moon eclipse, which will be visible from a large part of the world. I think it was hard for us to see it this morning, but if you were up early, maybe you saw it. Lunar eclipses herald potent change and resonate with powerful symbolism, often turning the moon red. Eclipses embody the power of the veil, the mysteries of the goddess, the serpentine shedding that represents the destruction of old forms and heralds new forms, the continuous new, waxing, full, waning, dark lunar cycle, the same energy of the menstrual cycle. The veil, the snake, the moon, all three are incredibly and powerfully connected to the goddess, to women, to priestesses and seers, to our bodies, our moon bleeding cycles, birth, death, and rebirth in total embodiment. A total lunar eclipse enacts the union of light and shadow and is an optimal time for magic and activism that focus on deep transformation, on work between the psyche and the consciousness, on the destruction, creation of illusion, and on calling in powerful balance. Damn! So that's our moon report day. And I know that some people may eye roll when they hear me talking about the moon, at least sometimes they do in my yoga classes. But to me, the moon... Yes, there is astrology associated with a lot of moon reports, and it's great if you are into astrology. I'm not an astrologer. If you want astrology, you can tune into Eric Francis's show on Sunday evenings. But for me, the moon represents a ritual that is has sort of been lost in our culture, and it has largely been a female ritual. And it has largely been tied to women's menstrual cycle, but I don't think that it has to be. I think that the changes that we're experiencing um, in this world is awakening everyone to this divine feminine and this divine feminine ritual of becoming in tune with the moon cycles. And personally, I just use them as an opportunity to check in with myself. This is beautiful, Teresa. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so taken. (laughs) <laughs> How beautiful. Yes. That's great. So, yes, on new mm. moons, I like to encourage people to blossom, think of blossoming new things in their lives. And on full moons, it's really about this abundance, this um, manifesting of the dreams and the goals that you have for yourself. And And so you can align a little ritual with that, or maybe it's just you have it marked on your calendar and you journal to yourself in the morning. But to me, it's it's a beautiful ritual, and, and ritual is something that I think um, is healing for all of us. Nice. Well, um, when we were sort of chatting about this the other day, I was thinking back uh, to when I actually had that moon calendar. I remember living in San Francisco, and I would, um, I would make moon water 
on full moons. I would set up uh, like a mirror at the base and then a jar of water and candles and everything. And it would I would only let it be out at night and it, all the moon water or all the moonlight would like reflect in the water and charge the water. And then I would wrap it up before the sun com- came up and I would put it on my altar and I would keep it wrapped. And then on my birthday or something special, I would take it out and I would put on this special crown and I would make, I made like a wand and I would bring the moon water and like present it to my friends and then they would drink from it and I would like, you know, have them think of a wish or something and then I would cast a spell on them so that their wish would come true. It was this very (laughs) playful ritual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really fun so back in the day. You, you don't do it anymore. No. Is there a reason why? Yeah. I just, you know, I used to be into Wicca and I used to cast circles. I always practiced this stuff by myself. But, um, yeah, just kind of like grew past it. And I kept the ritual and the circle and all of it in my mind. And yeah. I didn't need the presentation of it anymore. Yeah. And it was something that I'd already explored and have yeah. since moved on. And Yeah. Yeah. Well, now I, I go to the it. gym. <laughs> that's well, my ritual every day. I go to the and gym. I, well, I will say that's a good point to make that ritual doesn't have to be wands and unicorns right, right. at all. It is really an intention setting for yourself, and that's all it is. Whatever, whatever that is, whatever that is that's meaningful to you is um, is how you can create ritual in your life. I love it. Um. And we are definitely going to be experiencing some hot ritual in this uh, this next segment. <laughs> Teresa's hot, on hot ritual. She I has have, some. She's taken it. I have had to somebody, another extreme over here. Somebody has offered to do fire walking ritual at my house. We'll see. Maybe if that that'll happens. feel good for your anger that you're feeling right now. Yes. You want to work out a little anger on the air, Teresa? You you were telling me some uh, some stuff the other day. You were getting sweaty upper lip and uh, well, yeah, foaming at the mouth. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is our hot flash moment, and I just want to take a pause to explain that I've never had a hot flash, and so I don't mean to belittle the experiences of any other woman who has had a hot flash and i also don't want to exclude anyone from this conversation who may never have a hot flash oh you're gonna have one reason nope you're gonna have some ladies will not shauna (laughs) we're woke here okay um but at the heart of it we're talking about in this episode a little rage rage and not female rage we're going to change that idea rage is something we all experience and it's okay we don't need to look at a woman differently because she has rage see i don't experience rage that's great i know i'm not trying to be super woke though well and i don't think having rage (laughs) has anything to do with being woke i know but but i don't know i don't know the answer this, this subject, in all seriousness, has kind of come up. I mean, I've, I've read some articles uh, following um, 
uh, actually, the uh, not we're not going to bring him up again, but a season's already following that story and um, just f- women expressing rage. And then more recently with the Larry Nasser trial and the um, the idea that the judge behaved in a way that some people have questioned. I was listening to, I think it was the New York Times Daily News, and they were talking about was her behavior inappropriate? Um, and I don't know the answer to that. I obviously wasn't in the courtroom to to know everything that happened there. But a lot of people were commenting about the on the language that she used, and that she talked about how she had just given him his his death sentence. And <clears throat> I wonder if the criticism uh, that she is that she's experiencing right now because of the language that she used has to do with the fact that she is a woman. And there was a great piece. Oh, geez, I think it was in the New York Times about female rage and how it's oh, right. you accepted. Sent that to me. Yeah. The the idea of being a woman and being sort of this sad, sweet, soft character is an acceptable role for women that society is more comfortable with versus the woman who is strong and angry and fierce. And obviously we know these roles are changing, but to what extent are we still subconsciously biased against or for women who are fitting into those archetypal roles of the sweet um, you know, weak uh, person versus the strong person. Well, it was actually, it was an article that was sort of entitled exactly what I just said, because you were just like, oh, people, you know, it's okay to rage. Everyone has rage. And I was like, I don't get angry. And that was the exact title of the article. And you sent it to me to read. And I, I was reading it. And then I was like, I don't want to read this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to read this because she was just like, you know, I grieve more than I ever get angry and and I totally relate to that like I am I'm more of like a griever than I and I don't really experience anger and I remember being in therapy as a little girl my therapist would say you know you really have anger inside of you and you need to feel it and I've and I just like I don't know I don't know my thoughts on it entirely I think that some people I get what you're saying like some people actually are suppressing their anger and they're trying to not be disruptive you know in their conversations and with their friends Um, I don't know I don't know I don't know if if that's where I'm at and that's why I don't want to read the article or if it's just because I also just I really I don't know I don't have this rage like the the we can pause for a second you can interject but when we were talking about this the other day you know I was talking about how a lot of my friends were saying horrible things about Larry Nasser and saying that he you know should go here and go there and um and I don't resonate with that you know I I have a totally different view and it's and it's a view that's actually not widely um accepted in most conversations people want to be angry people like to harness this anger it's like cooler to be angry and point fingers and have this sort of like black and white thinking i'm talking specifically about this case sure whereas i am more of the mind where it's like you know we are ultimately all on this planet together and we're all a part of each other there needs to be some sort of 
uh, compassion even for criminals, even for dark criminals. Everyone has a right to be here. But anyway, that's how far I go with it. So maybe that's dissipating my anger. Do you know what I mean? I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, obviously. I mean, I don't either. But but. I think... I think that society is starting to shift its approach to viewing criminals. I mean, there's a a restorative justice center that is actually being developed right here, um, I think in Kingston. And it's a a different approach to punishment. I was was a prosecutor at one point in my life. And when I worked in the juvenile um, justice division, you know, it's not about punishment. It's about rehabilitation. That's the focus. But then as soon as you turn 18 or you're tried as an adult, then the focus becomes punishment. It is no longer rehabilitation. And I think that the restorative justice systems that are being developed, um, we'll have some ladies in here to talk about that because I'm very interested in that subject. But I think like that is aligning with what you're talking about, that let's look at the root of why this person committed these horrible things. I do think that punishment needs to be enacted against him. Um, you know, and, and maybe that's not the restorative justice approach. I don't know enough about restorative justice and how they handle certain things. But I think that um, understanding that it's, all, it's, it's likely that this person suffered in some way in his life, and that's, because, that's why he became who he became. But I also think that the victims, um, you know, it's, it's their right to determine when they are going to forgive him. And it might be that they need to feel angry and that they may they may want to punish him and there might be other people who've experienced things like that that want that feel that same thing so i'm just speaking on behalf of them i really didn't have a lot of emotional response to the this whole um situation other than some of the things that have come out after the fact the idea that there were women uh, i think cnn did a story this morning how there were there was a woman that they focused on that the Michigan Police Department had um, uh, apologized for not pursuing her claim, that she had been instructed to go see the doctor and that she went there and, and immediately went to the police station to report what she felt was a sexual assault. And they essentially never followed through on it. They never sent it to the prosecutor. And there are more stories that are starting to come out about those types of events. And that to me, that is actually what I get angry about is the fact that these women were speaking their truth and that people weren't listening to them. I mean, and that's... Is that actually what happened? Like the the officer didn't think that it was a valid report to make or... Yeah, I think what happened in that specific instance is the the officer went to talk to the doctor um, and he essentially said, oh, she's not comfortable with her body and that's where this is coming from, that she just doesn't feel comfortable with her body. And I think that was a lot of the message. There were some other, in this article, there were eight other references to different stories of people who felt things had been inappropriate and, and talked to their gym Nastics coaches about it and the coaches basically shut them down saying that he's a very well-respected doctor you don't know what you're talking about right um I, you know th- this is sort of just all beginning to be revealed um I, I will add at this point that i went to 
the conversation that Chronogram had on Friday called The Reckoning, where Hillary um, Harvey Hoffman was moderating a panel. And there was a very eloquent speaker, Eve Walter Maurer, who's a professor at SUNY New Paltz. And one of the things that she said um, about everything that's kind of happening right now is that when somebody says something that we need to believe them. And I think that's largely why um, a lot of women are stepping out and, and having their voices heard right now is because for a long time we have felt or they have felt that they haven't been heard. And it's, um, it's time now that people want to be heard. Um, and so I think that's an interesting message that we need. When somebody says something, we need to believe them. It's hard to do that automatically sometimes. I mean, we talked about that last week with the Babe article. The initial response was not to believe um, that what she experienced was real or that or her feelings talking were worth talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's really important to have this conversation um, that we're having right now, even though I don't fully agree with the majority of the response from people. It doesn't mean that I don't, um, I don't know feel like it's not worth talking about like on air even it just seems like um let me ask yeah, you a question go ahead. <laughs> i'm like really have, zoning out no have you ever said anything i mean you and i have different personalities and i'm wondering if you've ever said something and felt like you haven't been heard sure and how does that make you feel <sighs> fine <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, have I said something? Yeah, no, I left. I remember I remember actually very specifically leaving a meeting in tears and was supposedly filled with, uh, you know, people that were there to support me. Mm -hmm. And then they weren't. They didn't even really hear me. And so, yeah, I left in tears. But I wasn't angry. Well, I was angry. I was a little angry. Yeah, no, I get. I guess I do. I get a little angry. I just don't sit there. It just doesn't sit. I sit. It doesn't sit in me. Anger. Okay. Yeah. And that's good. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Anyway, you're <laughs> listening to Radio Kingston, fourteen ninety oh, WKNY. This is Teresa. I'm Shauna Falana. And um, I'm staring out the window. I see Gail and Dorsey is in the hallway. So we're going to go to our first voicemail. We're going to play a song of Gail's called Stop On By, which I recorded off of YouTube. It's her playing live. And then she's going to get in the seat right in front of us. She's actually here uh, with Sarah Lee, who we're going to interview at a later date. But that's what's happening right now. Okay. Hey, Shauna. It's Sarah. Um. If I could say I want what she has about one person, who would it be and why? It would be my friend Gloria's positive attitude. No matter what happens, even when she gets angry or sad, she finds a way to put a positive spin on things and to keep plugging forward. And I really admire that. And she gives me a lot of hope about overcoming difficult things that pop up in life. So 
So she's the one I thought of when I got your message. I hope everything's good. Talk to you soon. Bye. Said you're welcome. Stop all by. You know I'll be there, baby. To dry your eyes. Gonna get tired, yeah. Of being the second guy. Dorsey. Gail, thank you so much for coming in. Oh, you're very welcome, Teresa. We're Hold really that mic in a little bit to you, darling. Okay, okay. There you go. I'll try and speak up to you yeah. a little bit. I know. I, I tend to mumble, so I'll try and be aware of that. <laughs> We're just so excited that you're able to come in here today. Well, we know that you have a busy life, and, um, and in addition to Sean and I being excited. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are really excited oh, that we well, were able nice. to get you in here. Well, I appreciate um, the invitation, you know. I yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's nice to be here. <laughs> so is. we talked a little bit about, you know, this show is about I Want What She Has, our provocative title here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, gathering that there are a lot of people out there who look at you and just think, wow, Gail, look at her life. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. all the amazing things that she does, the amazing musicians you've played with, David Bowie, Lenny Kravitz, Tears mm-hmm. for Fears, so many others. Yes. And how did you get to where you are? Um, so that's kind of what we want to uncover a little <laughs> bit today. 
Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow, there's a, there's a lot there. I've been doing this a long time now, pretty much my whole life. I, you know, it's an interesting question because I don't, it, a lot of what has been my life and what is my life, I feel is just, it's something, um, it's something definitely kind of larger than, than myself. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a particular, particularly religious person but I'm very spiritual person in in the sense that I feel like you know all human beings and and living creatures are kind of vessels of something kind of bigger than themselves and and this for me one of the the secrets of of well not secrets but uh, uh, recipes I guess of 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 success or of fulfilling things in your life is is knowing how to kind of get out of the way and let that that thing that's bigger than yourself uh, kind of take take do do its thing, yeah. and and I feel like I know I knew at a very young age that I wanted to to make music. It was it, it was a, like a um, I mean really young age, like f- three or four or five. Even I was like five years old when I sang first time I ever sang into a real little reel to reel tape recorder that my big brother had and he and I would sing Otis Redding sitting on the dock of the bay and and listen to my voice come back on this tape and it was like that was that was it oh, wow. <laughs> I was like wow this is amazing <laughs> I can do this I would do it all day and until the tape just broke and disintegrated and no longer existed and um but it, it, I knew what I wanted to do and I feel like I at all cost I more than anything I I prayed for the courage and uh the bravery or whatever um especially being a young black girl in Philadelphia in the uh, you know late 60s early 70s to 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 allow me to pursue that like no matter what like like to to be to be strong enough to say whatever obstacles I face I I know I'm, I know I've been put here to make music. I know I've been given a gift to do that. So I had to kind of get out of my way and, and, and not let anyone else get in my way and just be true to that. And I still live that, really, in a way, because now I'm kind of, kind of at the other end of the spectrum. I'm not five, I'm 55. <laughs> and I don't have that many years ahead of me again to do it all again. So I still feel like I, it's important that from now to the end of my physical existence anyway I can keep that th- that dedication to trying to be open to to the gifts I've been given basically and I feel and it is uh, not only my what you would consider my talents or whatever that I can sing or play the bass the gifts of of the work that I've received you know I think is just kind of part and parcel of my my humility to that like I'm just so I'm grateful to it all I don't expect it I don't uh, think I'm better than anybody else or but I just uh, you know I just feel really humbled by by the success that I have had that's beautiful it's and it's interesting I I got a book Christmas this year called the surrender experiment and so I made surrender be my mantra for 2018 Mm -hmm. so I'm 44 and it Mm -hmm. took me till now to realize to get out of my own way and just surrender and I'm curious like was there something about your upbringing in your family it how did you was it just a knowing I mean 
I was different. Uh, yeah, I think it, it was just a knowing in a way. I don't, you know, uh, I I grew up in a very loving family. Uh, my father passed away when I was very young, so it was really pretty much just me and my mom. My mm-hmm. father passed away when I was six, and she she never married again. Mm-hmm. I left the house when I was seventeen, so I had a good. 10, 11 years, just pretty much me and my mom. I'm the youngest of five oh. kids, the, the the surprise baby at the, <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the, you know, so my siblings are much older, and they were pretty much, by the time maybe I was 10 or something, they were out of the house. So it was kind of, I felt kind of like an only child. You know, they were already off and doing college or the Air Force or Marines, different things, college. Um, so I was just, you know, in some ways it was, I had a mother who did, there was no way she could understand. She was born, okay, my mother is, is from Virginia. She's born in 1921. I can't even imagine right. the things that she has gone through in this country. Right. <laughs> and a lot of it she never even told me about or wanted to talk about. It just blanked wow. it out of her consciousness or just certainly not something she wanted to revisit. But she, you know, I could, you know, just from knowing and reading and just understanding that, you know, where she came from was a place totally different from where I was as a little black girl in the 70s. Yeah. So, I, and I was just dreaming of playing music and making movies and, you know, I just wanted yeah. to create things. It was just, that was all I lived for, you know. I liked writing, too. I liked words. I liked, you know. Um, you know, I liked writing stories and, and those kind of things. But my mother gave me uh, this unconditional love. I mean, it sounds very, you know, cliche, but also like it, she, it was almost like she had something bigger than herself was understanding that I had to do what I had to do. So I think what was very fortunate was that I had a mother who on the one hand would say, I don't understand why you wear your hair like that or why you got to wear those clothes in the street or why can't you be like your sister or why do you need another guitar or why do you need to have these the strings for the thing? It was, but then at the same time, she would go and do it. <laughs> you know, she, she would, her, her voice was saying, I don't understand. I don't understand you. You're why are you different than the other kids? You know, you don't go out and play. I was very solid solitary. I was in my room writing or p- practicing or listening to records or watching films. I wasn't particularly social in that way. I, I'm not now either in a way. I, I'm not like a go out and do things all the time. I, I spend a lot of time alone because that's where I get my energy. But my mother you know, didn't understand those things. But at the same time, you know, she would go out and, and clean someone's house to get extra money so I could have strings. Or she would go, you know, she would, you know, one hand would be, the action was support, 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 support. But but the voice was going, <laughs> I don't understand you. Why are you like this? <laughs> so I think a lot of my, like, confidence, and I think also just validation even though it didn't come verbally i had this sense of protection from my mother and this sense of support and th- this is p- the hardest story of all is because uh, well first of all she she always gave me she she came to every single concert i ever did in philadelphia she didn't travel much outside of my 
town. But so she'd seen me play in the smallest little dive bar when I was 14 or something oh, wow. with my friend Jay, who actually passed away a year ago on this day. So Sorry. I want to shout out to him. Uh, and uh, she to to being in to being 80 years old and being in the middle of the concert of Gwen Stefani with a bunch of 10 year olds oh, screaming wow. and she's standing up and cheering and you know <laughs> to every David Bowie concert to, to from Jonathan Brooke to you know just every, every band Tears for Fears I can't even Gang of Four she was at every concert I ever did in Philadelphia when How it came exciting. through town no matter what it was from the lowest to the you know to the highest yeah. and the last um, the last days of her life, uh, I was actually working with my all-time favorite artist of all time that I always wanted to work with, which was Olivia Newton-John. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. And I was in uh, Australia with Olivia Newton-John doing some shows for two weeks. And when I got home, my mother fell very, like the day I landed, I was at the airport collecting my baggage, and I had a phone call from my brother saying, Mom's in the hospital. And uh, she slowly passed away in the next few days, so, so I guess she waited for me, I hope. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the one thing that uh, has, you know, now is something I look back on as, as a validation and, a, and a, a sign to keep going with what I'm doing it, as best I can. You know, this, it's a very weird world and a weird climate musically and artistically in the world now. So it's all, who knows, you know, that we can't rely on the old things. But one of the things that just kind of gives me confidence to try and keep going is that my mother knew how much I loved Olivia Newton-John because I'd play those records when I was a kid, you know, <laughs> sitting listening to Xanadu and everything over and over again. I love it. So <laughs> she, uh, she was in the hospital in Philadelphia, and I was actually here in Kingston. Uh, I had to come back for something before I went back to the hospital. And I had called her to see how she was doing, and she was on the phone with me for a minute. And some friends of hers came in from church, some of her church friends, two women. And so she was a little bit out of it. She was kind of just died really of natural causes in a way. She, she had cancer, but she had no idea she had cancer. So she just went to sleep with no pain, no painkillers, no surgery, no nothing. It was very, nice. very blessed, yeah. mm -hmm. beautiful, blessed way to go. And I wish the same for everybody. That was such a peaceful and beautiful thing. But um, she uh, hung up the phone, but she didn't hang up the phone uh, when she finished uh. speaking with me. She <laughs> thought she had, because she was a little groggy, and she had just kind of been taken into the hospital. So her friends, I, I stayed on the line, and her friends kept saying to her, uh, I'll try and make this quick, I know you want to get through some other subjects, but her friends kept saying, Ruby, that was my mother's name, is there someone on the phone? And, and she was like, yeah, my, my daughter's on the phone. And then they would go on with their conversation for a few more minutes. And they'd go, D did you want to hang up the phone? And she would say, no, no, my daughter's on the phone. And then she said, she just came back from Australia. She was playing with Olivia Newton-John. But the way she said that, like to n right now, it brings me to tears. It was almost like the first time I knew she was proud of me. Like that all the sacrifices of time that I hadn't spent with her because of my work, which is, takes me away from just about everybody in my life. Yeah. Um, 
and all of the you know the sacrifices that she made for me as a kid and the things she did for me to to help me to get where I was instead of hindering me even though she had no idea what my world was or could never even fathom it and uh, that moment was just that moment I just thought <gasps> you know so that I think of that I always think of that moment of her of me somehow eavesdropping on the phone to hear that was like it was meant to be thank you for sharing that story yeah that was really beautiful you're welcome i'm like yeah we're all kind of tearing up right now (laughs) looking in the window um i just also want to my bag for a reason this morning i want to say if you are just tuning in you're listening to wkny radio kingston yeah (laughs) 1490 thank you Hey, Kingston. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Kingston residents in the house. Indeed. So, um, I mean, I was a little bit curious about the fact that you you actually were pursuing a film career. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm curious about what kind of films you were making. I mean, you mm-hmm. got a scholarship <laughs> yeah. into... Mm-hmm. Um, the university because of that mm-hmm. and um, so I'm curious about what you were doing in your film work. <laughs> what were you doing Kelly? I know so, you <laughs> had so many talents which way to go actually I was I had an alter ego this is interesting because I'm actually working on my next solo album which uh, for the first time I'm going to say the title of it I think it's I don't think I'm going to change it it's going to be called The Sally Dalton Show I know that Whoa. seems very strange but Sally Dalton was an, uh, was an alter ego character that I had back in the 70s when I was a kid and I made a film about this person who was not really me but it was who I guess I projected myself to be it was a a character who was uh, like a crusader of truth and you know I was heavy I was going to the all the no nukes marches and things like that in the 70s I was always interested in you know the environment I mean the basic things that that decent human beings should be and and can be interested in um uh, I won't say decent, but just you know, feeling human, you know, people right. who are connected with what's going on, and uh, so I was always kind of into that, you know, movements and writing letters and going to protests and things like that. And Sally Dalton was was kind of a character who had a a, a television show called the Sally Dalton Show, and and she had she would talk about things like Vietnam or you know uh, political <laughs> things, and this was the film, and it was a film about me having a staff meeting oh, wow. with my my people of the show, <laughs> like the the makeup lady and the person doing the music and the de- and I had made I'd made a mock cover, I'd made these mock covers of myself on the cover of People magazine. <laughs> this was before Photoshop or anything That's existed. The dream. <laughs> I would t- you know I'd take an eight by ten and then I'd cut out like get paper and I'd trace the People magazine logo logo and I cut it out with an exacto. I mean I literally made all the, I made this whole set. So that was the film that I sent that I submitted to film school. But I also had written a full-length screenplay, which was really my main interest in film ri- filmmaking. I wanted to be a screenwriter. I, I, to this day, I, the only award I would ever care about winning would be like Best Original Screenplay yeah. at the Oscars or whatever. I could care less about a Grammy or anything. Yeah. But I would love to write something that's really poignant and beautiful and, and important one day. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. But... Um, so uh, I'd written the screenplay and I'd had that film and that's kind of what got me into film school. And I made it on a Super 8 sound, you know, mixed dubbing stuff on the projector and 
boy, it was now I can't even imagine. <laughs> now Do with you all the still films, have so. them? I haven't. Yeah, I haven't. Wow. I haven't transferred to video because I I have the reels, but I'm sure they're they're just about to crumble into nothing at yeah. this point. And I only just bought a new projector a couple of years ago, but I, I, I dare not even run a lot of the old film I have because I think it'll be ruined. Most of it I had transferred to uh, video, so okay. and now I'm putting that onto digital. You know, it's like sure. to try and hold on to it. But that I, would yes, be I, really a gem to well, launch. Well, you know, <laughs> when I I'm going to launch a pledge music campaign, I, I'm about to go on the road with Lenny Kravitz. So unfortunately, a lot of my work, uh, my solo work, is going to be on hold just for a few more months. And uh, when I come back, I'm going to dive straight back into that and get a pledge music up, and we're going to raise some money to finish the Sally Dalton show, which oh, I yeah. started recording some of that uh, earlier last year, uh, in the middle of last year. And uh, and actually, there might be one song I'm going to put out that I uh, that I did finish, uh, a song called Maybelline. Um, so this you know, is so exciting. So that's kind of yeah. how I got <laughs> into film school. And uh, you were talking earlier about you know obstacles and things of of, of facing as as a woman in 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 the world, let alone just in music or any other business. But uh, you know, it brings to mind my experience at the film school. I think probably of the of all of the experiences I've had um, in working in art, and um, that was the most. Uh, that that was the most chauvinistic and horrible kind of uh, space that I had ever I've ever had to kind of encounter. To be honest, was in the film industry. <laughs> well, it's kind of and that was yeah, it was nineteen seven uh, nineteen eighty. I was seventeen. I was the only female in my freshman class. That's which amazing. Was, now that I mean, wouldn't be happening. It's appalling, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's. I think it's made m major progress. But in my my experience of like like the most one of the most traumatic times was 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 film school and um, being on major record labels. Those two things were the most um, difficult and challenging uh, things that I've had to deal with. Otherwise, it's been a dream. Mm -hmm. I've worked with great people, great other great musicians. The artist's roster speaks for itself. I mean, yeah. just incredible people who were kind and, and I learned a lot from and that was like my school. But the the industry people are, you know, I guess that's always the way it is, really. But but well, film school was very, very difficult. Well, it's, I mean, get a look in, you know. the fact that Harvey Weinstein became, like, the poster mm. child for mm -hmm. all things bad. Um, yeah. I mean, and, it, and, and a lot is being revealed within Indeed. Hollywood and whatnot. I mean, yeah. It, yeah. it makes a lot of sense. It's sure. unfortunate. Sure. Um, and it's, it's good that it's finally being exposed. It's very good. But I, it, I mean, it kind of begs the question: Where else is this happening, and what else I needs think to be revealed? Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. For you know, it's uh, the world is tough for women. You know, it always has been, and it probably always will be to some extent. But I do think it's great that that at least at this point, people don't feel women don't feel strange about speaking up. You know, it's nothing. You know what happens to us. Um, and I have a, a I have my Me Too stories as well. Is not anything to be ashamed of, and that's the, the to me that's one of the worst parts of of the the thing that we have to go through as being women is that is the shame. Yeah. It's not even the thing. It's just that feeling of carrying that around. Like I'm not supposed to say anything about this, or what will happen if I say? You know, it's like this is happening. Face up to it. Here yeah. it is. Don't do it. Uh, or I'm going to tell whatever, whatever, yeah. just to 
to feel like it's like it's not your fault, you know. Yeah. It's such an interesting and important point that it's not only the thing that we experience, but mm. it's also the fact that we basically have to keep it to ourselves. Precisely. Yeah. Precisely. Yeah. That, and you carry around. And that's, to me, sometimes harder. It's like yeah. the, the baggage that we carry around with us is what kind of destroys us right. all of our lives. And and the, the more you can let go of some of those things and drop it out, if, if, if that means the Me Too thing of just everybody being able to speak up and get it out and spit it out and let go of it, then you can begin to heal and get on with your life. But it's like that festers forever, the shame and the guilt and yeah. all the other things, just they just wear you down. Yeah, and that's we talked about it on our first show. We got deep into Me Too. I bet. And, um, and a lot of it was, you know, sort of the criticisms around the women telling their stories and people want to judge and people want to analyze and people want to qualify and categorize. Yeah. Wow. And it's kind of like... I think Sean and I both agree that it's let's just listen. Like yeah. let's not let's yeah. not judge anybody right now. This is kind yeah. of a time for like just listening. Women yeah. too. I agree. I agree. Well, judgment has become a really it, you know it's become like a um uh I don't know. It's like a fad or something, <laughs> you know. I mean, we've always been always been judgmental, but now it's become like it's entertainment. Well, because everyone has a platform now. That's right. The news has become this this the it's odd. My favorite film of all time is Network. It was made in 1976. Okay. If you haven't seen it, everybody I'm please go out and see this movie immediately. Okay. It was Homework. written it was written by a a a, a an amazing screenwriter and television writer named Paddy Chayefsky. Mm. And uh, he wrote a lot of stuff for like Twilight Zone. He wrote a film called The Hospital. Anyway, this film won a bunch of Oscars network in 1976, I believe it was, with Faye Dunaway. And it was a, a satire. It was meant to be funny. In, in some ways, I guess it is. It was a satire about the news. The news becoming oh. entertainment. <laughs> and just the whole concept to me to me that piece of writing is as as prophetic and profound as like like Nostradamus or something I mean it's like it's it's unbelievable the depth of this story when you even now it's just to me it never gets old it we we are living in what that that film sort of was making fun of yes. that we could maybe maybe be the future yeah we're 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 deeper into it than we could ever imagine and it's like the whole thing of is true of criticizing and judging and 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 not listening it's like we we don't know listening isn't a skill that we we learn to 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 strengthen right. and it, it definitely needs to be it's not valued right it's, no no it's the person who talks loudest and mm. stands up there are generally the ones in power and, that's, and right. that's what we've come to value as a society. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily true. Not in my experience anyway. Right. Um, so let's see. You live in Kingston now. I do. 
What love brought you here? Well, well, my friend Sarah Lee, who's uh, who's out here with me today, Hi, who, who's Hi, Sarah. <laughs> going to be here. She um, <clears throat> she was living in this area in the Woodstock area in the nine, I think, through the eighties as well, and into the nineties. And I was living in London. Was she's British and I'm American? It's funny we were opposite <laughs> sides of the each pond. other's uh, sides of the pond. Yeah, um, but I I was interested in moving back to New York, and I had met her through mutual friends in London and. Um, and I came here to visit when she was living in Woodstock or Glenford. And um, and I, I just thought, wow, what an amazing area. You know, I, I want to come back to New York, but I don't want to live in the city because I don't think I can afford it. And I didn't, mm-hmm. it just didn't. But it, this seemed like this was the ne- next best thing was to be in this area and be in close proximity of New York City and also be here with all these great musicians that were here. It was like, you know, I'd met, I met Jerry Marotta and I met John Ashton from the Furs and like all these people were her friends, Tony Levin. I was like, wow, they all live in this <laughs> amazing community. I never even heard of it. So um, I, I ended up moving here and I was living with Sarah for a while and then after about a year of living in um, in the Woodstock area, I moved to a rental in Kingston, right in uptown Kingston, mm-hmm. a rental apartment, which sadly to say only last year was sold. The building was sold and now, I, uh, now I'm a homeowner in Kingston. <laughs> but, I, but I rented that apartment for 22 years. Wow. So that that's a testament to how much I love this town. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's how much, yeah, it was. It's a great place. It, it's just and and it's ter- it's turned into it just a really really great place. And and I hope that I hope it kind of doesn't go over the edge to the <laughs> to not being a great place, yes. you know. But it was always you know when I first moved into Uptown Kingston, you know. It was just, you know, there were a lot of places were closed or boarded up. I mean, there's still some places that are, are, are empty, but it seems like it was the little town that could. Everybody would say, oh, one of these days, Kingston has so much potential. It's what, why do you live in Kingston? It was like this, for like at least 10 years of that. And then slowly it started to change. And then maybe not even so slowly. It's just like it just a, a whole new energy has, has come. Yeah. Younger people are here. Um, you know, different businesses are opening. You're doing things like what you're doing. That's right, that kind of right. stuff wasn't really happening yet right. in Kingston, and I think maybe people in the city are actually discovering the the proximity of of this town. And Manhattan or Brooklyn is yes. not so far away, and there's cool stuff happening up here. You can get right. get up, and you can kind of be in nature, but you can also have a nice coffee, and you can have a, you can walk places and have bike. Tra- I mean, it's just I couldn't think of a better spot. If I left uh, this part of the of New York, <clears throat> or left New York in general, I'd leave the country again. I, this has just always been my favorite spot. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I'm not from. Well, neither of us are from here, but we all yeah. ended up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. One of those surrender moments, maybe. Indeed, indeed. Well, it has an energy. It definitely has a nice energy. Attracts attracts nice people. Do you want to take a? A musical break and play a little bit. Yeah, let's um, do it. One of we also picked out another song of yours that we wanted to play. Okay, and (laughs) it's in honor of the. uh, We're not going to play the whole song, but we'll just play a little bit of it. It's in honor of the full moon. It's called Magical. Oh, nice.
Welcome back. Uh, we are sitting in the studio with Gail and Dorsey, and you are listening to WKNY 1490 AM in Kingston, New York, Radio Kingston. So I was just actually asking uh, Gail about when she was her young Gail self. <laughs> She's um, still young. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. I, the, you know, when she first started working with um, these heavy hitting artists and I was just curious um, how you were able to have the confidence to sit in front of these people that were asking you to play with them um, when you weren't even sure you know what sort of skills you had you didn't read mm. music yeah well um yeah i'm definitely a self-taught musician i i didn't um we, we didn't have money for me to have private lessons i did some s music stuff at school because that was when i was in elementary school they used to have music in the schools um and uh i just Wow, it's like I, you know, my 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 career kind of started when I was in London, and it was it was it was kind of gradual, um, in terms of getting. By the time I kind of got to be with bigger artists, you know, um, I did a lot of stuff in pubs, and I worked for this like uh, improvisational jazz. Um, kind of collective that was really fun and through that and it was just kind of making connections uh was how I got started anyway is you know one person I was working for said oh you need to meet my my son or my brother or my friend he's got a band and there you meet them and they go oh we're doing a show and you need a bass player you know and it's just slowly built up and then you know then you meet that one person who says uh uh, in my case, it was uh, a friend's son, uh, Richie Stevens, a great drummer, a uh, drummer in London named Richie Stevens. And his dad introduced me to him and, and said, you know, my son's got this record deal on Virgin Records. And and uh, and it turned out his son had, to, yeah, he had this record deal and he had this new band and they had to do a showcase and they needed a bass player. So I played in their showcase. And then he said, oh, and by the way, I work for Boy George. I play drums for his solo stuff, not for Culture Club, and uh, and so then I ent then I meet Boy, you know, Boy George through. So it just became like you know one thing, and basically again it goes back to what I was saying about like I just had, I want you know I just knew I wanted to play music. I wasn't w the kind of person who w wants to do anything so bad that they'll do something horrible to somebody else to get there. I'm just not that per you know. I sometimes I wish <laughs> I was more pushy, you know, but I'm not. So you know I. I, I just kind of allowed, you know, I just, I, I allowed myself to say, okay, I'll try it. You know, I'm, I'm not going to stop myself from going to try that, even though I'm terrified because I've never done a recording session or I've never met a famous person like this or I've never played or something, you know. I just went in there and just thought, I'm going to somehow know how to do this. Again, it's like getting out of your way. It's like I just, it's butterflies and all you know terrified 
you know, was, if someone was going to change the key of something, which still to this day gives me a tiny little shudder, not as bad as it used to, but I would just be sweating bullets if someone said, oh, well, we, let's drop that down a third. And I'd be like, what the heck does that mean? Right, because you're not reading and I'm everyone not else reading, is reading. And I don't know theory. Like you don't, right. not, not sometimes people aren't even reading, but they know like theory in their head, which I still, I've tried to this day to try and understand how theory works. I kind of get it, but I can't apply it to what right. I'm doing. I'm like, right. well, I don't, I don't know how to, to marry the two. But, you know, so they would know that, okay, well, a minor third from, from A flat is boom, and they would just shout it out. I have no, I don't have a clue. What, I, I could sit down now with a piece of paper and work right. it out like right. a, like a prop, like, okay, A flat, you know, they have to sort of, but they know these things off the top of their head. So it's like, they're calling out all these different things and they're like, well, sing the fifth. And I'm like, what's the fifth <laughs> <laughs> would you try and hide this like from them or did you, you know what? how I did you deal I with didn't. that i didn't i didn't no and you... maybe that was good i didn't ever pretend in fact i and, and, no yeah. and i in fact i'm i'm, I'm always like shot like sometimes i'm like are you sure you want me to do this like i i you know i'm i i i go in with the um like the declaration that i will give you the best i got but it might not be what you need and if it's not don't I won't take it personally you know if I can't handle it you should have somebody else he's not I'm not going to pretend that I'm the greatest and you you know you need to have me it's like and you know it's funny because most of my work um, in fact I'd say 90% of all of the work I've had it's been somebody calling me on the phone I haven't gone to an audition or I haven't asked someone you know, to help me out or get me a shot with this or that. It's like an art, like somehow my reputation has been, has kind of been good, you know, and people, you know, seek me out. Um, and so I just, I just try not to be afraid, you know, it, as, even though I would be, I would try, you know, I would just say, well, I can only do the best I can do. And if they need somebody who needs to know theory, or if they need someone who has to read the charts, then they don't need me. Do you think, um, I mean, I'm just, again, thinking back to when you were, how old were you when you started working for Bowie? Uh, <coughs> you were 25? No, I was 30. Oh, okay. 32? Okay, so you had some... Maybe. Yeah, but I remember reading in another article in an interview you were talking about just that first year of working mm. with him oh. and you know and so really terrifying. Right. And I, you know, I would love to hear how you walk through fear. It was uh, it were yeah. you born with a gift? Like Teresa is super calm all the time even if she's <laughs> a little nervous. I've learned that from last week on our radio show. <laughs> but um I you know, I just love uh the idea of walking through fear and if there's any skill involved that you could share with us um i think to just sort of you know it's like with anything is to to you know and i'm not like the best meditator or anything like that i'm not you know i'm terrible at it in fact i try it but but i but music to me is a meditation when i go on a stage and play, or when I'm playing through a song and a recording, what I to me that is the closest thing to 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 being out of my head, to to meditating, 
to being clear and calm and so it's like I knew I I knew that I started to be aware of that early on and so every time I would be afraid before I go on stage or be afraid to step into a, a situation I would tell myself once you are playing that song you can listen to it and go oh my god how am I going to it's going to sound you know I'm going to worry and I'm going to they're going to count it off and I'm going to be the wrong feel or I'm going to forget the notes like you you t- I tell myself all these th- you know th- all that stuff would be going on in my head I have sick stomach I have a really weak stomach so like it, that's the first place it goes for me so I'm like oh I'm going to be sick you know but I just knew that as soon as that first note gets hit I'm in the zone and whether I can play the song right the first time or whatever I can do what you know it, what's required of me um if I can do that, great. If I can't, I can't. But once I'm, like, the fear leaves when I play the music. When I'm in my head or I'm worried about it or seconds before the I hit the first note or the first beat comes, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not winning with the fear. I'm not. But I, I win by telling myself, you know, that once you just get into that song, it's going to be whatever it's going to be. And usually it's fine. It's just usually fine, and I think that's with a lot of things that people do, no matter what it is. It's like it's we are the anticipation of something is just horrendous. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It tears us apart. But when you're in the moment, the actual moment is usually just fine. You know, when you're when you when you are facing that thing, you're you're afraid. You're afraid. You're afraid, and then you're just in it. And it's, it could be good and it could be bad. It could turn out horrible. And you go, right. oh, God, that was a horrible session. Or, you know, I've had my days when I just think, oh, that sound, sounded like crap. And they're not going to want to use it. And I, I was probably right, whatever. But, you know, most times it's okay if I just, I just tell myself it's going to be okay. Once you play the music, the music was, has been my savior. It's kind of like that's, you know, I'm in a whole nother zone at that point. It's like all the cares go away, all the, you know, everything, you know. When I was a little girl, I used to sleep with my guitar. If I had a problem, it's like my guitar would be Aww. in the bed with me. <laughs> and it was like, it was like just, just to touch the strings or to hear the sound wow. was, would take me to like the calm place of like, okay, it's all going to be alright. Wow. Music is just, you know, music is incredible, like communication language you know it really I mean it's cliche to say it's the universal language but it is is. because no matter what tongue you speak what what alphabet or whatever uh, you know you could hear one note on the violin can resonate with every single living creature not even just people right so it can't there is no more powerful connection to each other than than expressing music in my opinion however you do it. it you don't have to be Pavarotti, you know, mm-hmm. you can be whatever. Everybody can sing, in my opinion. It's just how it, co- however it comes out is how it comes out. Well, as a non-singer or somebody who tries to sing, <laughs> I can appreciate. Like, I wish I could sing. You know, like a beautifully. And be, but the reason that I wish I could sing is because it does feel so good. Mm-hmm. It just really does. And if you. If your ear doesn't isn't bothered by being off pitch, then just sing. It That's doesn't what matter. I think. That's right. exactly what I think. It's it's a, it's a it's just one of our many emotions. It's like crying or, mm. 
or laughing or you know what is singing is just it's just something that we do yeah that we all should do animals do birds do it you know squirrels <laughs> do it animals sing dogs you sound sing. like my dog my dog Louis Armstrong sing. right here <laughs> oh do they oh yeah yeah that song bees well, do it yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. oh well, so, um, I don't know. I hope that kind of answers your question. I just, well, you know. It definitely does. And I think, you know, I don't think women, men, anyone should be intimidated by the fact that they don't always have the right skills. It, right. It's, it's the intention that, that, it, that shines through. It's the emotion and that you're trying to project. And, and the, you know, we find ways to do that. You know, we find ways to express ourselves when we need to do it. And, and all those ways are valid. You know, in my opinion, um, so you know, we again it goes back to judging. Of course, we judge ourselves and we get insecure, and you know, and I I do that too, very much so. Um, I'm very, I'm my own worst critic. I can tell you that I'm harder on myself than you know some some like the for example with Bowie, working with him, he was always uh, he was so gracious and. And always supportive of what I was doing and just, you know, just singing my praises all the time. And I used to think, I don't know what he sees in me. Uh. I really couldn't figure it out. (laughs) I was like, really? You know, and and so that, you know, just kind of goes, well, you know, there I get in my own, there I am judging what I'm doing. And obviously it doesn't ring, it's not the same, whatever I do rings different for different people, you know, so... I should just uh, be easier on myself. <laughs> well, and speaking of being easier on yourself, so we have you for just a few more minutes. I wanted to squeeze in. Um, you did mention that, you know, you have, um, I don't know, like your tension goes to your gut, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm wondering how that works for you when you are traveling. Like, how do you look out for your your body when you're touring or do you look out for your body do you just let it go for a couple months <laughs> and well get back when you I get try back? and look after my body all the time whether I'm traveling or not it's 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 not as easy as it used to be because my body seems to have a mind of its own now it's not it's not quite <laughs> it's not quite responding to the the usual right? uh, cues it's always changing yeah so yeah. you know and there's you know menopause and all that all that good stuff going on we're embracing that by the way here we have a segment in our show called Hot Flash that I've oh, created because I oh too good. am perimenopausal. Ooh, man. So I want to take back the name oh, the hot <laughs> and make it yes. fun. It's going to be fun. Nice. Night sweats. It's all Feel good stuff. <laughs> no, I well, you know, I try and I try and eat right. I have a problem with sh- I like candy. Uh-oh. I like chocolate. You know, mm. I'm definitely a sugar person. I'm not a salty person. I'm a sweet person. Um, but uh, you know, I I exercise, uh, go to the gym on the road. On the road, okay. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I hotel gym hotel or gyms. Yeah. I'm gonna start doing that. I think. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, and I try and eat well. It's the best I can do. Try not to drink too much. Mm-hmm. It's easy with, uh, like you know. I mean, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, there's always like wine in the backstage. Or th- you know, you can get in the habit of just drinking things because it's there. You know, so it's just kind of watching watching what I'm doing and trying to get some exercise and it's hard for me because I'm not a body I'm not an exercise person I hate it I hate the gym I hate exercising I don't mind doing yoga I do a little little bit of yoga I kind of go in and out with that but um, 
I've all, even as a kid, again, I, I was, I, you know, at one point I was writing a song called Body, uh, with which the chorus would go, I'm not in my body as much as my head, basically. Mm. I'm a head person. I was the kid who didn't want to play. I didn't want to play or jump rope mm -hmm. or do ball. Or to me, I was like, I, don't, I didn't have a body. Like, yeah. I was always in my head. I was at the typewriter. You know, it's all going on up here. And I'm still that person, really. It's just kind of who I am. So it's a struggle for me to remember that I have to take care of the body. You know, I'm 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 I'm, s I'm more cerebral than than like physical. I'm not an active, sporty person. I could care less about. That. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like walking. walking. That's what I was just gonna say. Walking's my walking favorite. Everywhere. I like to walk. I yeah. do like to walk. I That's remember my favorite thing. I remember when you I saw you um, at the paint store. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And you had moved from uptown in Kingston, and you yeah. were—I think you were just mostly bummed because you weren't able to. You were a little further out now, so you weren't yeah. able to get your walk. As, in. Yeah, my usual. I'm starting to get better now. I'm just like, okay, I'll take that extra walk. I walk. You know, I'm not. St I'm still kind of in the uptown area. I'm only like a half a mile from where I used to live, but I—it's just that little extra jaunt. And uh, now I'm starting to walk into town. I bought a bike this summer. That wow. I hadn't had a bike in like What 30, kind of bike years. did Gail and Dorsey buy? The one from the local store, from Utility Bicycle oh, nice. on, on, on Wall Street. Um, and it's called a Siva, I think it's called. It's a green bike. Is it a mountain bike? Or? It's kind of a, a hybrid. It's like right. a, not really a mountain bike. It's kind of a, a round town bike. with my little bags on the side. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I got my nice helmet and... It was fun this summer. I just kind of got it at the end of the summer, so I started riding my bike into town, into uptown to get my mail and do my usual errands. So that's good. When the snow clears, I'll be back on the back on my two wheels. That's <laughs> the thing that I I don't live in town, and I wish I could ride a bike around. Mm. Yeah, it, it's it's a nice thing to do. Yeah. So good for you. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> There's like lists of questions, but we have to let her go because she's got all these yes. chores that she needs to yes, go run I'm, before she leaves town. Yeah, well, I'm wondering if. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> um, if there's any advice that you have for aspiring musicians, if there's anything that you feel like maybe it was advice that you received or just anything that comes to mind that you feel like you want to share with them out there who are listening? Um, I think my advice would be to really um, understand what it is that you love yeah it could be music it could be writing it could be cooking it could be building cars it could be whatever yeah like like learn to learn to understand it like you would want to understand a human be another person or like if you really love something um it, you 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 kind of you you want to know about it yeah. you want to you want to kind of embrace it and i think especially i'll speak mainly about music really because that's what i love and what i do and and have been fortunate to do and i think part of that reason is because i just really devote myself to it mm -hmm. and i want to understand it and learn more about it and i think that with the advent of m computers 
and other things that we can use to uh, to create things. Uh, computers are great in, in some ways, but I think that you know, for, for musicians um, who are interested in instruments or in singing, like you know, really give it your all. Yeah, you know, like let it show you things like I learned so many things about the bass I never wanted to be a bass player for example I was a guitar guitar is my favorite instrument it mm -hmm. still is and the bass was like a lucky accident but as I started to get work on the bass and started to look like the bass showed me things I was like oh now I know why like like you know pay attention to what you're doing and and let it teach you things yeah. basically yeah so my advice is just to to focus if you really want to do something then uh, yeah follow your heart follow it yeah, yeah yeah give it everything thank you so much gail you're so welcome Teresa. have a great Shana. see you tour. at the paint store yes <laughs> 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 yes thanks yeah the lenny kravitz tour well it starts in europe this summer um and then i think we're they're going to be adding the states kind of at the end of the summer or in the fall i hope so oh, i hope cool. we get to, That'd I'm, be great. I'm trying to, i'm going to try and convince him to play at upac i think we should oh play yeah you know, or Mountain Jam or something yeah. like that, you know. So we'll see. We'll be looking forward to the Sally Dalton show. Absolutely. Nice right. tea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. You're listening Hi, to... This is Liz, and I guess if I'd say there's one woman out there of I want what she has, Frances McDormand has a pretty good situation. I really feel like... I would want what Frances McDormand has. She has this wonderful creative partnership um, with her husband, uh, yet she's very well accomplished in her own field of acting. But it seems like they just have so much fun making beautiful, awesome things together. Um, and yet she's still at the very top of her field and in charge of her destiny. So I want what Frances McDormand has. My baby drinks water, my baby drinks tea. My baby eats an apple from the old apple tree. My baby drinks milk Mother Nature gave me. So please spare the water for my little ones and me. Now money buys houses and clothing and more. And money buys food at the big grocery store. And money buys trinkets and money buys toys But it won't buy the earth back for our little girls and boys Do you measure your wealth by the size of your what size is your coffin? What size is your purse? What size is your heart if you put money first? I over the children and their hunger and thirst. 
baby drinks water, my baby drinks tea. My baby eats an apple from the old apple tree. My baby drinks milk, Mother Nature gave me. So please spare the water for my little ones and me. Hi and welcome. If you're just listening to WKNY 1490 AM, Kingston, uh, Radio Kingston. And I want to introduce our next guest, uh, Ruth, who is in our studio right now, Ruth Unger. We just listened to her song, My Baby Drinks Water. And she is a songwriter, uke teacher, super mom of the mammals. (laughs) Thank you. Um, And she's also in the middle of putting on the winter hoot. And we have her gracefully sitting in our studio right now, giving uh-huh. us some time. Yes, thanks for joining between. us. You're All so of her welcome. Too, yeah. It's wonderful to All be here. Busy this women. Is, I really enjoyed getting to hear Gail. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> We're really glad that you're here as well. It's yeah. such a special day for us. I've been taking uke lessons with Ruth <laughs> That's for why the last yeah. four weeks, yeah. and. I will be sure to share on social media when she does these lessons again because <laughs> it's been so much fun. And it, it was interesting. You weren't here when we were kind of talking with Gail about how um, the some of the struggles that she faces because she doesn't know music theory or isn't mm-hmm. reading music. And what happens when the band the decides that they're going to do a song in a different key. And I was like... I know what this is about because Ruthie <laughs> drills us on these during our youth lessons. Of course, I still don't know what I'm doing, but they're they're so great. Thank and you. I look forward to the next round. I tried to impart some, you know, you play this this chord now because I said so, and then also maybe you just play this chord now because it makes sense, and here's why. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit nice. of each. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. It's been really fun. Um, I, the youth class is, uh, you know, something I don't get to do very often. And um, in this life of booking, promoting, filming, <laughs> tell editing, us, tell us. recording, re-recording, you know, mixing, touring, mothering, um, you know, hopefully folding laundry somewhere in there and all that. You know, it's really kind of cool when people ask me, oh, are you teaching uke? And and instead of trying to organize a bunch of different individual lessons, I make everyone come at the same time and just do a big uke workshop. And it's it's different levels and, you know, maybe not as much individual attention as people would normally get, but it's what I can do. And for me, it's great. It's it's like a party. <laughs> yeah, I thought it totally worked. Good, thank you. And I was witness. I think it was the first lesson Opal, Ruth's daughter, was yeah. at the lesson helping to collect the money from everyone. <laughs> and she was getting emails from bands about contracts or other <laughs> venues on their tour and juggling all of this in the midst of giving a lesson. And I was just like, wow, she's really doing it. It's yeah, it's a lot. It's, you know, I, I was explaining this and sometimes I feel silly for complaining because, um, you know, people say you do what you get to do what you love. And and it's true because I do love to sing and I love to tell 
a story through a song or write a song or convey an emotion that's you know somehow very feels very specific and then is still very universal or you know just connecting with people or creating events that really feed people in that energetic way but um but really we're doing the work of me- the like uh, many full-time jobs you yeah. know i walked into best buy the other day to buy some hard drives and there were maybe 25 employees within my visual range immediately. And I was like, wow, there's a guy to do that. And there's a, there's like a woman to do that. And there's, there's a, I'm like, I wish when you walked into my house, <laughs> you had, you know, I mean, it's not that I'm looking for a, a world of servants doing my bidding or anything like that. I just, you know, sometimes at, at another level of the music business, there is that there's a team, you know, and every time we get to add a member of our team, even temporarily, it's just so awesome awesome you know like if you tour with a sound guy or a tour manager or if you you know even have a regular babysitter that's coming along instead of a different person in every town or um currently we have a publicist hired because we have an album coming out so that's another person who i get to like you know hand some work to <laughs> and so i'm really grateful every time that happens and i do aspire to reaching a level of this business where that's a more permanent um and consistent type of thing that we can afford you yeah. know because right now um mike is about to go pay for the repairs on our van which you know that could have been you know well that's part of our team right our right. van repair people in <laughs> kingston who i hope are listening right now at bren automotive yes are awesome and i love them very much and they do very good work so they are a big part of our team right now because we have a van. I love your van, by the way. I've seen your van. You guys have a great tour van. It is great. Thank you. Yeah. You know, it, last year and the year before, it made more than our drummer, which I don't like. I, want, I would oh like to pay our drummer more yeah, than the van, that's but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah, we will. I can see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's good. And like I said, you know, I'd rather have it be fixed and fixed right, so... We, we, we don't begrudge these things. We just move on. Anyway, hey. So you have a <laughs> new <Welcome>. album. <laughs> yes. A new album a new is album. coming out. And that was a song that we just listened to. My Baby Drinks Water yeah. is on the album. That's my mom singing harmony with me on that. No way. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And my dad and stepmom providing some moody um, Arco bass and fiddle droning in the back. Um, we actually had my dad play a solo on it, and then we cut it out. I don't know whoever has cut a Jay Unger solo, but I did because <laughs> only his daughter can do that. <laughs> well, I think it was agreed that that it made the song longer, which it didn't need to be, and it also made everyone feel like they were watching a Ken Burns documentary and forgot what they were hearing a song oh, about. Yeah, because it really it was a beautiful solo. It was actually too good; it had to be cut. Oh, but anyway, yes. there are a lot of things on the record that are very special to me, and that's one of them. Um, that song, I. I jokingly say from stage, I wrote that song, well, truthfully I say that I wrote that song while lactating. Um, so it's a drinking song. Oh, nice. there you go. that's funny. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, it's a song about water and the importance of water. And um, it's hopefully written from a perspective of, um, that's a bit inarguable. You know, I'm try- not trying to, uh, I'm trying to be as broad with my strokes there that it feels um, true to just about any listener, I hope, anyone who's ever drank water, you know, which 
pretty I'm naming it a pretty large group there <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah and there's a lot of other great songs on it some of them very and I guess environmental and uh, related to you know how we feel on this planet right now in this moment um, you know Mike is my husband and collaborator and a great songwriter and he could have put out an entire album of what you might call topical or protest music yeah. um, and, and almost did. And then when, when listening back, it's like, wait, maybe maybe 12 songs like that in a row are actually hard to digest, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe one or two or, you know, a few different ones can work on an album when you also have just like some foot stomping tunes to shake shake it out yeah, you know yeah. shake it off you know and you have some uh you know some of the songs where the perspective is like this world is is, is all right and we're going to be cool you know so we we mix it up and that's sort of what the mammals always used to do when we were a band back in the 2000s i don't know how to say that but you know what i mean yeah yeah. I used to listen to the mammals. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for this new album. Thank you. Yeah, I really am. Thank you. Yeah, it, it, it's been a long time coming. We've been working on it a long time. We actually recorded um, 25 songs. Great. <laughs> You're one of those That's bands. Great. You record like a ton of songs and then yeah. decide which ones to yeah. keep. Yeah, you know Adam Armstrong. Yeah, he, he's been working with us. Like he wow. produced the Oh, that's the right. Mike he and Ruthie Band album. Yep. And you know, uh, every time we would come in with another song, he's like, No, 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 no. You have uh. enough songs. You have enough songs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. no, no. But we need this one. You know, like I think my baby drinks water is one that we, you oh, know, wow. threw in later because we've been singing it and wanting to, you know. So it's in some ways a very weird process you know to decide okay now which you know 12 to 14 songs get to be in a family together and get to go out into the world and come out of the 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 hole where the other ones must sit in the dark and remain for another couple years it's it's tough it's tough it's yeah it's we you know we jam-packed the album my mom in fact was critical of the album she's listened to it she said it was too long and it could have been two records and I was like well you have no idea (laughs) Like, well, you know what? Sorry, because we just needed this. You know, the door opens for a second, and the songs run out, and like as many as can run out. That's how they they. That's how it feels. To I me. love that visual. Yeah, <laughs> let me get it out. Makes me excited, even more excited <laughs> to listen to them now. Yeah, they're excited to see me. Basically, yeah, they want to see you. Yeah. They want to see you. They, how long yeah. is too long? <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's fourteen songs. Which the last record, bright as you can under the Mike and Ruthie band moniker was also 14 songs and also pretty varied you know there was some very rock and full band stuff and some sparse stuff it's kind of our thing we kind of like dynamics <laughs> and um, this record I'm excited has a couple of tunes that were things that were basically rehearsal where Adam was rolling and where I listened back later and was like that's got great energy I could sing over that or I could add a tambourine on and and then it's kind of done you know and uh, there's two tracks like that I won't tell you which ones but they're both um you know maybe actually something that Adam thinks is silly that's on the record but that we had fun uh pulling together Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah yeah it's just that energy of um it is actually difficult to make something in the studio that feels as exciting as anything that happens live on stage right. you know, for me I love to sing in front of people and play in front of people and and I like the way the band interacts when you're only doing it once because yeah. it's a show 
yeah. <laughs> so I like that. I like those tracks. And so far, people have responded well to those. Yeah, we're excited to get them more out in the world. I think if all goes well tonight with my creating a big uh, e-blast, <laughs> tomorrow will be uh, when we launch our pre-sales for the album. So oh, even though, okay, great. Even though it's not out till April, okay. um, people will be able to buy it and um, get it much sooner. Awesome. On our website. That's great. Can I tell people our website? Absolutely. It's the mammals love. I saw that today. L O V E. I like that. That's a thing. And we have hoot.love too, because the winter hoot is this weekend, and uh, that's the world's shortest website. Well, maybe not, but hoot.love is pretty short. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, as if you needed something else to do, you're <laughs> producing two music festivals a year. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Well, the thing is, we love festivals. Our yeah. kids love festivals almost as much as they love hotels. <laughs> um, and. <laughs> Yeah, the winter hoot and the summer hoot, the goal for me was to bring new people to Ashokan, to the Ashokan Center, as it's called, where I grew up. Um, I grew up there in the summers, you know, with my dad running music and dance camps that people would come for a whole week and learn and immerse themselves in an instrument or dance or song style, traditional kind of American stuff. And and I just loved that feeling um, and also realized that not everyone can take a full week off of their life and go do that although everyone should Hmm. Uh, but so we decided to throw a weekend festival that's really accessible Uh, we offer tickets in advance that guarantee you parking and admission but anyone can come to the door as long as there's still space in the parking lot and pay what you want at the door that's beautiful so it's accessible you can come for an hour you can bring your kids you can bring your grandma you can bring anybody and hopefully there's something I have seen carloads of like actually three generations showing up together yeah. and then they all just split up and do fun things and rejoin each other at various points during the day. Yeah. Well, it's funny too, because whenever I'm, I've been to both the winter hoot and the summer hoot and whenever I'm describing it to somebody, I'm like, anybody can go. It's so great for family. And it's like, I just go by myself or, or maybe my partner. I'm not bringing my, you know, anyone yeah. else, but I can appreciate that vibe that cool. everyone is welcome. And that feels so good to me. Oh, thanks, Teresa. Yeah. I really, you know, um, we do struggle with that because we don't want to market it only to people who have kids. It's like, if you don't have kids, you can show up and totally have a good time. Oh, too. yeah. Like Spirit Family Reunion is playing. Like they're kind of, uh, you know, a little younger than Mike and I. So they're, I don't know, they don't have kids yet. <laughs> Them and their fans, you yeah. know, they're kind of like the... 20 something still I think yeah. and uh you know what I loved they played the first winter hoot which was I guess well this is the sixth one so five or six years ago however many that is and they uh it was really fun because they played their set and then it was time for the square dance and this was the first experimental like late night square dance and I'll tell you my stepmom was like it won't work like you can't start a square dance that late and and what if it keeps other people awake who are like in the and, and I was just like no no it's gonna work because we've been to this festival <laughs> uh, we've been to a lot of festivals we kind of drew from all the places we've been and took all the things like there was this really late night festival at Pickathon out in Oregon you might know that festival from an episode <laughs> of Portlandia oh <laughs> Oh, great. Oh, wow, Teresa. <laughs> it's a real place. <laughs> we, uh, oh my God. That's a great festival. It's so amazing. And we got to play it, like, when was that? It's grown a lot, that on, festival. In 2011. Yeah, Mike is signaling. That's when we were there. And they had this late night square dance, like, in the grass. It wasn't even, like, a real dance floor. It was just, like, random. It was dark and fun, you know? Mm-hmm. I was, I think, pregnant in a tent. 
and listening to it. <laughs> I was not dancing that year. But it was, uh, anyway, it was a fun experiment. The first Winter Hoot, we just had a square dance with this rocking old time band playing like super trad fiddle and banjo just cooking tunes right after Spirit Family, which is like a slightly younger take on that energy. And all of their fans stuck around, just like I hoped. And Spirit Family themselves all square danced with their fans, you know, and that's the spirit of Ashokan. It's like, and the hoot. The performers are not the kind of performers who are gonna like hang out on their tour bus, then play a set and then disappear and be aloof. It's like everyone wants to hang out together, yeah. You know, all ages, everybody, like the musicians and the fans just are, we're all people. Yeah. It's relaxed. <laughs> yes, exactly. We have a green room where you can like collect yourself before you play. But <laughs> Well, you, I mean, Teresa and I were, were sort of talking about like you guys do so much, you know, and is there anything that you say no to? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I was curious if there's anything that because you, you guys are touring with your kids. Yes, this festival. I was going to ask how long it's been. So it's been. This is the sixth year. Yes, like you work so hard. Is there a no that comes out? Okay, you know, I would love to. That's a great. It's a wonderful question. Um, you know, anytime I've ever spoke to man like band managers who I, I've done this before, where we've never actually had. A manager except we're self-managed so we are our manager but it's one of those full-time jobs I alluded to that we do yeah. um, but I have done consultation with four different band managers who I really like um, just for an hour and I always ask them things like what do we say no to what should we say no to right you know what do you how do you do that yeah. <laughs> and um, I've also asked other questions and gotten some really genius uh, and very helpful comments. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of what we are saying yes to is stuff that we've actually created. You know, so mm-hmm. we've created this album and we're saying yes to it. And we've created this tour and saying yes to it. And we've created the hoot. And, you know, and we hope everyone else is saying yes to that stuff, you know. And I realize the things we turn down are any gig where it's not a listening room. Okay. So if there's like going to be other stuff and music on the side, Mm -hmm. you know, or if it's like a bar gig, you know, we will say no to that. Um, Yeah, that's like the main thing, like stuff where no one notices what the words were. That's not really our gig anymore. You know, we still like gigs where like people are going to get up and dance and and we want to play more. You know, it's we're as we're transforming back into the mammals, we have the ability to play more like standing shows I guess you'd say because right. mostly we've been playing seated shows for a really long time and it's scary actually for us <laughs> standing shows oh interesting I know Why? other people who feel the other way like they're like that's our I world would, I would die to play a seated right. show terrifying that would feel right? so uncomfortable for me yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 so so to us that's but you like, guys are growing musically right now too I mean I noticed that you know yeah the band's, the band's growing fuller yeah. and you guys yeah. are sort of marketing it as indie it has like more of an indie sort of sound to it yeah I guess I don't know it's it's funny because I mean even back in the original mammals days it was like there was always something a little bit like punk rock about the like fiddle tunes right because they're like it's I sort of look at how every culture has basically polka music right it's like whether it's polka music on this radio station still every Sunday yeah like whether it's like not going anywhere or or Mexican or there's always like every culture has it 
and and there's something to that and when we play tunes there's a little bit of that you know <laughs> so that transcends i guess into a lot and then yeah i mean i actually we just had a rehearsal this week where i got to finally play some electric guitar which was fun it's like one of the grittier more indie vibey songs of mike's that on the album i think i just sing but um yeah there's yeah mike can't play four guitars at once so i get to play <laughs> i did want to tell you something i just want to sneak it in um yeah. before teresa uh asks you another question sure but um as i was leaving to come to the radio station um my friend john came up to me and he said um that he wanted you to know that he saw you warm up for LP at the Utopia Soundstage and he heard you sing an Etta James song oh, with yeah. your violin and he said it was just <laughs> like amazing. Like it gave him Aww. full body chills Ooh. and he just felt like you were Etta James up Aww, on that stage. So thank you. you you wow. know, it's great that you're playing electric guitar, <laughs> but um, it's yeah. mostly about the singing, I guess, for me. But I th that that song, I literally just sing on that. Mike plays guitar. I don't even play the fiddle on that tune, but I like that he remembered it as if I had. But um, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes you connect with a song you didn't write. You know, you connect with a song like that. And there's a Richard Thompson song that we've done for years that also is just like I, we didn't write it, but our version stands out for people and 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 the same with that something's got a hold on me i want to record that again because the first time we recorded it was 2007 or eight or something and that's when um we had just gotten married and we just made our first mike and ruthie album like kind of when the mammals stopped making albums at first and we and it's literally maybe like the third time we've ever played it it's like mike experimenting with just guitar and me singing it and i like it but now i've been singing it another 10 years <laughs> so you own it. I really want to record it again. Right. See, sorry, Adam, we kind of record another song. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's going to be, we're actually, I think we're opening our set at the Hoop with that song. Oh. We just made the set list today, and that was uh, an idea. Open Great. with it. Well, you have one, one person that is like rooting for that to happen. So. Cool. Yeah. Um, one of the things Sean and I were talking about earlier today was just some conversations she's had with some other female musician friends of hers and about how they've expressed that there's still this weird competition in the music world, um, specifically with women. And I was saying how my observations of how you work, I mean, when you're putting on the hoot and when you're doing these different collaborations, there's so many other women that you're working with. Absolutely. And so, you know, is that a conscious thing or is that just organic? Do you see any weirdness in the music industry or do you just, are you out of that? Because well, as far as like the teamwork and collaboration of putting on events and whatnot, I feel like it's very woman heavy in a good way. Like, you know, you talk to our publicist that's yeah. why I'm here and she's yeah. amazing um there are men and women who show up and really give and make the event happen right and and, it, and we call those people the hoot heroes yeah. and um it's great you know um I would say that I know what you're talking about I think Shauna because having a daughter I look at what role models she has on the actual stage and we're very conscious when we book um, the festival to make sure it's not like a sausage party up there, which is sometimes hard and sometimes actually not. Mm -hmm. But um, 
you know, not to diss any festivals by name, but you look at those posters and oh yeah, down down there there's a woman on the in the smaller font, you know. I mean, it's really bad sometimes. Or, you know, or even the bands that have a woman in the band, it's a woman. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to just see, you know, I don't want my daughter <laughs> to just see the only woman being shaking her butt and singing and playing a tambourine either. Like, I want some women drummers and bass players and everything else and running lights and sound. And um, that's one cool thing. I keep talking about Adam. He's going to be embarrassed if he ever hears this because he's very you know shy downplayed kind of fella (laughs) but um he's awesome with opal and she's in the studio a lot turning knobs and (laughs) you know we've been looking for a new lighting op for the hoot and he's like when is opal gonna grow old enough to do this because she's gonna be the one (laughs) like you know we all really feel that um ability there and whenever that whenever we play a gig and there's a female sound person um i'm stoked you know and and it's just, it's too, totally uneven as far as uh, crew and actual musicians, um, and I think that's just gotta that's got just gotta shift, and it will. I know that um, you know I look at our own band, you know, and it's like we've very rarely didn't Sarah Lee play bass with us for like two shows. <laughs> we've had a couple of times where we've had some. Uh, you know women backing us up there's that show that happens in woodstock that's like all these women and then like right. often the band is men and i'm like come on yeah let's do the whole thing wall to wall but it's a challenge it is yeah. there aren't too many mm-hmm. yeah it sounds like it's this is a subject that we're you know we're sneaking in an interview here so that we can talk a little bit about the hoot yeah but there's so much more that i'd love to go into um with you when you get back from tour we're gonna have to have you back okay. in yeah um but i'm just thinking about the song um rock on little jane which is yeah. one of my favorites i like practically cry i might cry now if i think about yeah. um but you know, did Mike write that song? Yeah. I think I remember hearing that story at um, one yeah. of the hoots, you know, about him writing that song. But to me, it just feels like this anthem for little girls. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what's so cool is that it was written by a guy. <laughs> yeah, I think that makes it even better. Yeah. And and you know, for for Opal and for she knows it's her song, even though we changed her name to Jane in the right. song because it rhymes with better stuff. Right. <laughs> um. So yeah, what um, we're gonna listen to a little bit of that song, okay. but before we do that and let Ruthie go, I just want to remind everyone that the Winter Hoot is this weekend, Friday night. It starts with documentary film. There, uh, um, I I've been to some of the films in the past, really mind blowing, um, environmentally conscious subjects and things of that nature. But it kicks off on Friday and it goes all weekend. You can go to hoot.love to find out all of the information about the schedule and all of the various happenings. Is there anything else that you want to say before we let you go, Ruth? Well, I just want to say thank you guys for having me on here. It's really fun to, uh, sit with you. I wish it was, uh, all day we yeah. can do this all day yeah. yeah will you come back <laughs> i'd love to come yeah. back i have a whole list of questions <laughs> yeah. in front of me that i didn't get well to and it's like you. you know thinking about you're about to go on tour with the kids and you fly yeah. back and mike drives like there's so many things that i'm sure even a lot of women who are working in the world want to know how you balance it all <laughs> well so. i'd love to talk more about it and yeah. also i want to give a shout out to laura veer's podcast midnight lightning 
where I did an interview just about that. Awesome. And I don't know if my episode has been aired yet, but it will be at some point this year. And there's amazing other episodes with like Carol Kay and Michelle and Degiocello and other amazing oh, awesome. people who are moms and musicians that she cornered for an interview. <laughs> that's so, that sounds great. <laughs> Check that out too. And you guys, are you, can people listen to you in that format as well? Or they will be. Yeah. Um, they can stream this show whenever they want to on RadioKingston.org, but they will. we will also have a podcast version. Fantastic. Yeah. Cool. Well, come to the Hoot and check it all out, people. Come say hi. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Ruth. You shouldn't even try
are listening to Radio Kingston 1490 WKNY, and this is Teresa. This is Shauna. We're just wrapping up our show here today. We usually are going to try to sneak in a self-care tip, but we had such amazing guests on today that our self-care had to kind of get shortened, which is sort of the story of my life sometimes. All I wanted to uh, to say was a shout out to all of my um, friends that, that wake up at 3 a.m. in the morning, just like I do, and don't know whether or not they're going to fall back to sleep, and nine times out of ten we don't. I just want to say hello to you guys. And I want to say, if you only have three minutes for quiet time and self-care, give that to yourself. That's all it takes, okay? That's our message for today. That is so, our music message. There we go. <laughs> that was my cue. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening today. Teresa, do you want to tell us who we have on next week? Yes, next week we will be speaking with Ashley Knox, founder of Go Beyond Greatness, an educational program that supports young people to reach their goals and strive for success. And we'll also hear an interview with Taylene Kali, musician and publisher at Dum Dum Zine. And today's show was engineered by Ida Hakila. How do you say your last name? Hakila. <laughs> Let me start that again. I'm going to start it again. Today's show was engineered by Ida Hakala and we, and also Manuel Bless. Oh, I got a thumbs up. Yes. We heard music from Gail Ann Dorsey, The Mammals, Mike and Ruthie, and our very own Shauna Falana. Yeah, that's me. Until next week, love yourself and uplift one another. Go team.